Hi, John. How are you? Hi, Merlin. <clears throat> you okay? Merlin, man. Um, you know, I keep saying I'll think of a song. Um, I'm on with John Roderick. <laughs> I keep saying that I'm going to rewrite the lyrics to the Janet Jackson song to reflect my actual feelings for you. Because Janet's lyrics are fairly, fairly antagonistic. Mm-hmm. But, that's uh, that's I, the nature of that I, record. I think it's a statement of purpose. Yeah, she's asserting herself. She's breaking free. Jim, Jimmy Jam. Jimmy Jam. You ever work with Jimmy Jam? Is that his name? Uh, it is his name. I, I have not worked with Jimmy Jam, but I, if I was raised by an oppressive uh, Jehovah's Witness family, oh boy, I would I would turn myself <laughs> I would turn myself over to Jimmy Jam. He yeah. would be my guide. He would he would be the the Pied Piper who gets the rats out of my undergarment my emotional life that's the mormons now <laughs> now what about jellybean benitez what's his faith jellybean benitez do you know anything about jellybean benitez i think that he probably practices a creole religion is that one of those chicken ones yeah yeah some what's combination that? of what's it called rusty uh, no it's not right it's a uh santeria oh, santeria my god don't call it rastafarianism that mm-hmm. that's that's that would be people yeah. would be mad although i think that probably not a lot of reggae we don't have a lot of reggae listeners. I and I wonder. I, you know, sometimes <laughs> is there. I mean, set, setting aside strictly spiritual music, is there any other kind of truly execrable music that has such a close following by by a, a religion people don't understand? Oh, uh, let's see. Wait, no. Let's be honest. No, you take something I mean, like you got your armor Christian soldiers, you, you know, and stuff like that. But but are there other faiths? I mean, is there? I mean, there are, there, a lot of, there are a lot of people who claim that indie rock right now is being colonized by by uh, Christianity. I think you've said that uh, on a number of occasions, haven't no, you? I don't. No, I'm just repeating received wisdom. You know, I cut out. I cut all. I, I cut out the last three hours of all of our talks. <laughs> I only put up. I only put up. I only put up the first hour. Just yeah, the cream because they can't handle the truth. No, I've checked. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've decided that I'm going to go on the internet and just go page by page, <laughs> and 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 mar- and just mark all the places where people are wrong. So, Do you have an app for that, or uh, no, just going to write right I'm on your just, screen, get a sharpie? Just, just manual. I started at <laughs> www.aaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaa
Can I be but, honest? Uh, I never thought of that. It's like a Monte Cristo <laughs> for breakfast. Yes. Hello. Deep fried uh, pancakes with the bacon inside. Funny religion story. When I was a when I was a kid, um, sometimes I'd stay over at my friend John's house, and when we got up before we went to church, we would make egos like like you do. Sure. And when we made egos, this is such a Cincinnati kind of story. You make the egos, they come out. Now you got to put a little bit of squeeze. <laughs> squeeze the Cincinnati part. Uh huh. Yeah, they come. <laughs> they come out. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. We <laughs> got a special Cincinnati toaster. No, so the Cincinnati style would be to put spaghetti and chili on them. You know how you describe Cincinnati, a little cinnamon? You know how you describe Cincinnati to somebody? Uh, if Kentucky and Indiana uh, got really fucked up and had sex one night, like a few months later, Cincinnati would come out. It's like it's like the clan meets the creek. But a few months later, like not nine months later. but These are not normal babies, <laughs> like John. Five months later? <laughs> <laughs> no. How do you think people have so many babies? They've tr- I love Cincinnati. It's fine. It's a nice no, place they, to grow up. I like it. You know it. what? Cincinnati, of all the towns in America, there are a few towns that adopted the long winters like right away. Hmm. Cincinnati was one. Hmm. We would go there and just really be treated like kings. Uh, and uh, our shows there were great because of that radio station, Woxy, W-O-X-Y. Oh, my friend did their website. They're the best. I used to... I did, I, did they go away? Because I used to give yeah, money to them. Yeah, I, I donated them. My friend Chris Class did their beautiful website. Um, they're the best. Okay, so we get anyway, up Sunday morning. We got to get Eggos. to church, right? Yeah. Take out the Ego. You get some squeezed parquet, right? You squeeze parquet all over it. Because no. you got to have like a butter, but you don't have butter because, you know, you're Protestants in Ohio. You got parquet. You squeeze it on. You squeeze yeah. it until until it's this, just this entire layer of parquet. But then, uh-huh. right, you're going to have two of these. So you get your two Egos, you put a parquet in between, you put parquet on top. Parquet. Then you do then you do the syrup. You do the squeeze syrup, squeeze syrup on top. Uh-huh. And then you take approximately three quarters of a cup of confectioner's sugar and cover the entire thing. Oh, and then you this, try to sit still and think about redemption. It's fucking is this hard. Your, is this your reggae story? Oh, I don't you don't understand. Want, do you want to know my reggae story? <laughs> oh, oh, it, it's the, reggae, the reggae story is a story I have never told. Really? It's, it's yeah. It's it's it, anyway. It, you had to be there. But long story short, my lady, when she uh, you know still had the bun in the oven, she's pretty Re- late in the bun. Reggae woman? Was she a reggae woman? No. I am pregnant. Impregnated wife. Then we went to river rafting. We went and we, uh, we, I don't know why we did this. We went up to the Russian River. Um, yeah. This is not a Cold War thing, but we went nope. there and we get you get a little boat and you go down the river. So I have river rafted the Russian River. Well, you know, it's it's not super complicated, but we're in there and you know. Well, I wasn't long... saying it like to, to indicate that no, I was. No, but you know me, I don't even go outside. Like, oh, that's true. That's true. I'm like a Japanese lady. I need a parasol. Yeah, this is a big deal. You're going on the Russian River. Very small electronics. She's super pregnant, and we're in this boat. We got all our stuff. You know, you got stuff when you go out there, and I, you know me, I don't love being in the sun. Right. But anyway, we're rolling along, and and suddenly out of nowhere, we're in this crazy little bit of. Um, well, let me say, first of all, that we, we missed our exit. There's an exit where you get off. We missed the sign to get off and go, you know, take your boat back. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't know that. We kept going. We don't, I, me, as great as my wife's sense of direction is, I was probably whining. She was distracted. Right. I do not have the innate sense of direction that you do. You didn't have a guide. No Sherpa, no. Uh-huh. And so we, uh, we go into this, suddenly we're in this little, like, not a rapid exactly, but just enough that a crazy pregnant lady and an idiot, like, mm-hmm. w- we can't control the boat. The boat, the boat is in yeah. bad shape. The boat, 
despite all my best efforts, the boat completely flips over very violently. Oh, oh yeah. Sends all of our stuff. And you understand, we wanted to stop doing this an hour ago. <laughs> you know, and you know when you really want to stop doing something and you're like, I just need one more thing at this yeah. point. And now you're in the water. Well, we're in the water. Our stuff is floating away. And my lady, like, took a little bit of a hit in the gut going over. So oh. we're, we're freaking out a little. Like, we, we probably are not going to have a six-pack of these. We really want this one to work out. Mm-hmm. So now she's worried. I'm worried. I'm running around trying to gather consumer goods and get them back in the boat and it's still like another hour we're worried we're walking around carrying a boat we go to the wrong place we go to a beach no you got to go back this way now we're following up the river and you know you just have those days where you're just like oh god i just i want this never to have happened right and the closest i'm going to get to this never having happened is having it end so the place you drop in your boat the place they pick you up with the boat two different places so you go and it's of course it's waterfall mooks you you start at one end of the river that's right and and it isn't a loop no, no, it's right, not. The river doesn't loop around back to the top. That's right. And so we yeah. finally got back to the boat place. It's all fucking mooks and hippies sitting mm-hmm. around with their with their fucking macrame and bush lights. And I'm just like, Ugh, fucking kill me. That's their culture. And you know I hate reggae, right? Mm-hmm. I really hate reggae. Yeah. And so we're like, oh, Jesus, God, I just want to go somewhere that's not in the sun. I want to make sure that she's comfortable. And we get in this old busted ass bus. Yeah. And you ever get on a bus with like the jokey driver? Yeah, well, never go to a second location with a hippie. Oh, that's totally true. Mm-hmm. What is that? What's that from? That's, that's, that's from 30 Rock. That's not me. Oh, that's a good one. That's, right, have, yeah, that, that, that's true, though. I have made it my mantra. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea where that joke came from, but it was so funny. So we get into this big like like hippie bus, and everybody's all drunk and a little sunburned and happy, and we're just sitting there like, mm, you know, like the way the way that, the like, grouchy urbanites. Well, like the guy looks when Sam I am won't go away. You know that expression he has? It's just yes. like, mm, can I just be left alone? And we're sitting there, and it's like, and he puts on fucking legend. Of course. Legend, I never... He wants you to feel iry. Oh, I was feeling super fucking iry. If you've been through college, you never need to hear legend again. And it's fucking desperately loud. Now the mooks have to yell louder. Sure. Everybody on there is super date rapey. They got their they got their glasses on the back of their t-shirt collar and they got like those 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 real rapey Adidas shower sandals. Yeah, those are rapey. And we're just sitting there just going and and over you this, weren't like, transformed by um, the message of positivity? N- you know, I thought I might be. I thought I might want to make a God's eye or something, but like that's reggae for me now is anytime my wife and I are anywhere and we hear like one note, especially of Bob Gnarly, we just look at each other and like Did you get say a Bob sense Gnarly? Bob Gnarly. <laughs> I wanted to leave out uh, Peter Crosh, but what, no. why have why have I not heard Bob Gnarly before? That is that I, I hereby I hereby claim Bob Gnarly <laughs> as my DJ name. <laughs> <laughs> thing is, my, you're going to Google that, and there's going to be so many Bob Gnarlies. But I want to be Bob Gnarly. I don't it, care about the other Bob Gnarly. Why doesn't Bob Gnarly update his MySpace anymore? <laughs> anyway, it's a stupid story, but you know that situation. You're tough, so you don't feel this way a lot, I know. But, like, we were weirded out by the whole, like, is our baby okay and stuff? Like, she's all big and stuff. And, right. we, and now know, she's hearing reggae through her mother's it's belly. It's so goddamn loud. And yeah. now, every time I hear a reggae song, it's like called Trigger Word. For me, it's a oh, it's a trigger two and four beat, and I just uh, stress disorder two and four. Ugh. Anyway, I hate reggae. I hate it everywhere. I, I'm sorry to keep saying date rape, but every time I hear Jimmy Buffett or reggae, it just sounds like something that guys who are thinking about date rape would listen to. Yeah, it's awful. Like nobody, like you're not going to sit around and listen to the Wrens and do that kind of stuff. This this is for bad people. 
Right. You know? The Wrens are not date rape music. It's not. Absolutely not. Like you get the thing is anywhere you get, you know, it's like uh, whatever Paul says, you know, wherever two or more of you are, are, are gathered in his name, you get two or more mooks in a room and there's going to be some fucking reggae. Right. It's, I don't, it's like whereas, they don't know whereas, what else to do. You would never find two Wrens fans in a room together. Well, they used to be Wrens fans, but <laughs> they're, they're always there's <laughs> one in an elevator somewhere <laughs> weeping softly. Yeah, most of them are retired now. There's one in his closet trying to pick which one of his two pairs of pants to wear today. <laughs> they waited too long. <laughs> but anyway, um, I, I just don't well, like reggae. It's one of those things I never need to hear again. I understand. I mean, I, I, I my reggae stories are legion because, of course, I grew up in the same era that you did, except with a with an open mind to reggae's. And so I reggae. I used to have an open mind to reggae. Yeah. When I was young. Yeah. But, but somehow I, I thought hippies might be cool too and that somehow didn't turn the door, out great. The door never slammed. I'm not saying that I have listened to reggae in a, in a very long time, but but uh but as a musician I, I have to admire the the reggae music. But it's like the CNN of music. Reggae it's just like what music. people put on. Well, it just this is the problem. This is the thing. Yeah. Here's the thing. Here's the thing with reggae. Here's the thing. This is true of every musician. You cannot pick your fans. I've told you this story, right? The first time uh, when Built to Spill first started playing in Seattle, uh, 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 all of their fan, all their initial fans in the very small clubs were all uh, other musicians and uh, cool kids, mm-hmm. and go to Built to Spill shows, and it felt like, oh man, this is a real, this is a real thing. It's a real family, you know. And then I remember the day I went to a Built to Spill show. So they're still playing at the Crocodile. It's still three hundred capacity, oh, but I walk in. The place is A, packed, and B, everyone in the place has a white baseball cap on backwards. Uh, no, really? And I went, what the fuck? Who, how, did, who, uh, how did these people get in? I don't in? see him liking that. Doug Marsh? Doug Marsh. I, I, oh, I, I don't, I don't oh. see him liking that at all. Oh, that's the thing. You, could, you looked up on stage and you could see that the band, their body language had changed. They were not facing the crowd. They were not, they looked like they were like nervous and uncomfortable and at the end of every song like all around there are these people like woo yeah woo and you know of course that had never happened before either and and that was my introduction to this concept of you know built to spill that would never have chosen these people if they could they would have electrocuted these people but this became this the frat boys were their fans now and they became a frat boy band and there was nothing they could do about it. And then, of course, I was in Harvey Danger, the the ultimate band that wanted their fans. Harvey Danger wanted their fans to be pavement fans mm-hmm. or Smiths and or Smiths fans. And Harvey Danger's actual fans were hot topic teenagers, and you know, and people that didn't like that felt Green Day was great, but just not sophisticated quite enough. I see people who go to wherever the MTV spring break thing is happening and hope that they get on camera. Yeah, exactly. And so Harvey Danger was in a constant state of misery as a band, not because their music had changed or they had done anything wrong, but just because people chose to like them who uh, uh, the the band didn't admire, right? right? So I learned through that that you cannot choose your fans and if you try or if you make any, you know, if you have any emotional hold on like who you want your fans to be, you're just going to be in misery. You have to walk out on stage and do your thing. So, mm-hmm. I mean, Bob Marley. Uh, he seems not, like a good guy. He did not choose to be the, the music of, uh, of date rape or whatever, or whatever it is that you're, you're 
you're claiming. I'm not it's... saying overt. I'm not saying it's actively. <laughs> no, no, I know exactly what you mean. I'm saying like, you know what? But there it is. But there it is. Bob didn't choose it. I felt that way when I saw Nirvana in uh, whatever, 1994. They were playing, I think I told you this story, but they were playing in a stadium, not a stadium, but you know, like the Civic Center in yeah. Tallahassee with the Breeders opening. And yeah. the Breeders actually like did a pretty good job. I mean, you know, they pre- did a pretty good job of like filling the room. Sure. And then Nirvana came out and it was, it was, it was one of the like defining moments of my music and especially the kind of indie rock arc was I sat there and went, oh my gosh, I really like this band, but they seem so little. They were so little on that stage, you know, but they had all this bombastic set stuff going on. And yeah. when they did the whole, like, she's the one who likes all our pretty songs and everybody's singing along, like, you don't have to be a, a, a huge ironist t- to sit there and go, this is awkward. Like, there's a big spinning mirror ball and people are literally singing along with. Well, but, you know, he tried, <clears throat> if you if you read the liner notes on Incesticide, there's this whole, he writes this whole essay on like, if you, if you are a raper, then stop listening to our music. Like he <laughs> actually, he really? actually addressed rapers directly and said, if you don't like gays or if you're, if you like, if you're a raper, then you can fuck off and stop listening to Nirvana because we don't want you. And I remember hmm. even at the time, 1993, big, thinking, big, big, big liner note readers, those guys. Uh, rapers, yeah. Sure. Yeah. The first thing they do, they go through. Is there anything in here that I should know about yeah. in terms of whether I should listen to this band? No. What they, what they, what they, you know, they're looking through and they're like, "Who is the second assistant engineer on this project?" But uh, oh, listen to this. It's an article about rapers. Oh, that's oh, me. Tony Levin oh, played on that. That's cool. I'm, I'm not. I, I, I guess I should stop listening to them, but I don't want to. What are my other options? Oh, I could stop raping. Mm-hmm. But even at the time, I thought, "Come on." What if Corn ever did that? Come on. I, I'm sure that Korn did not. Slipknot? I think that after Kurt, or before Kurt, no one had ever addressed rapers directly in a liner notes. And I think after Kurt, uh, the subsequent artists felt that it had been done. Mm-hmm. And that they needed to they needed to advance the, the trade somewhat. Well, I, I think, you know, you can say way too much about Kurt Cobain, but I mean, to me, he is a, a serious cautionary tale of the whole, be careful what you asked for or didn't realize you were asking for a genre. I mean, yeah. I, is that super obvious to say? I mean... No, no, no. He, he knew what he... I mean, I... Do you think he really I, knew what he was in for? Oh, sure. I've said, I've said this uh, before, although probably not to you, but there was a, there was a big article uh, in the local rock magazine here, um, you know, the paper, the weekly paper called The Rocket. A big interview with him right before Nevermind came out. And I read it at the time. And because I have a memory like a steel trap, I remember the gist of the record of this uh, of this interview. Primarily because I was a... Mu- you were, I was you were a, envious, probably. I was an aspiring musician, and here was somebody who, uh, who was where I wanted to be, and I was trying to like glean whatever wisdom I could get. Mm-hmm. And in this interview, he was... I mean, maybe he was having a manic day that day, but he really was unabashed about, like, this record's going to be the biggest record in the world, and we're going to be the biggest band in the world, and this is going to be, we're this you know, we are on the way to, like, mm. achieving all our dreams. And, of course, at the time, it was so implausible that, I mean, their, their first record had sold 50,000 copies, and I think that, you know, they didn't dare to dream. Yeah, you would go like, wait a minute, more than Mud Honey, these guys are going to succeed? Like, right. they're not even on the radar screen. Of but he was in bands. this article just crowing about, and this is right hmm. before the thing came out, you know, this record's the best record anybody's ever made, and we're going to be the biggest band in the world. 
Well, so it was, and another reason that this stuck in my head is it wasn't but six months later that I'm reading things from him like, we're just a, you know, hardcore punk band and we just want to tour in our van and I don't know why everybody's looking at me all the time and I want this to go away. And, hmm. you know, I still had this prior article in, in my memory, in my short-term memory, my RAM, if you will. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, oh wait, no, my ROM. Which one was it in? My RAM or my ROM? I think it was in your floppy. It was in my floppy. I had it still in my floppy. So I was able to compare and contrast the two, the two uh, uh, attitudes in my own head. And I went, uh, hmm. I don't know about that. And of course, this was right at the same time that, that Eddie Vedder, who had been wearing like Dr. Zog's sex wax t-shirts six months before and um, high top tennis shoes. And we, he was like a high five and white guy. Like, he all of a sudden was carrying around a bottle of red wine and like, oh, fuck, I'm so hurt inside. Wearing, the, like, Ki- wearing the Kaiser helmet. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, you were a high-fiving white guy six months ago and now you're hurt inside? Either that means that every high-fiving white guy is really hurt inside and all he needs is several million dollars to get in touch with his feelings. Several million dollars in the adulation of millions. Or some of this is a little bit of a put-on. And I'm not saying that Ed Ved is a... Is that what I you mean, call him? Is that a short name? That's what it, people up here call him. I, I, you know, when I see him, I call him Mister Vetter. Just EV. But, but but people in Seattle call him Ed Ved, and uh, so I go along with that because I'm seems, a follower. Seems awfully familiar. I'm a follower. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is well. It is you know that Seattle has to feel has to continue continue to feel proprietary about people that have become internationally internationally superstarred. Mm-hmm. And so they do it by, by using inappropriate nicknames or by. Well, it's one, one way. One way, it's it's a little bit like San Francisco. I mean, you know, San Francisco has, uh, I don't know, kind of a reputation for like, you know, if you Being see, gays. Mm-hmm, yeah, absolutely, hundred <laughs> percent down the middle. Um, nice tight pants, but you know, where you're, we're supposedly notorious or famous for like, oh, like we don't make a big deal when you see notorious. a celebrity. Notorious. Hmm. Sorry, what do you just, think of that cover record they did? They did that Duran weird, Duran. They did that weird cover record. Where they covered Here's like the thing about cover records. Mm, don't do it. Yeah, don't do a cover record. Name Didn't, one cover Seal, record. Seal just did a cover record. Well, of, of I must say, incredibly obvious covers. Even the Johnny Cash cover record, which Ugh. I which I credit with reintroducing me to Solitary Man mm-hmm. by Neil Diamond, a great song, and Johnny Cash's cover of it is great. But don't do a cover record. It always seems like a good idea going in, but it's not. You're it's saying there's no. You're not. You're not just saying just ironic cover records, like a Pat Boone thing. You're saying cover records in general, bad idea. All, I don't all, know. all by one artist, one artist <laughs> covering another artist. That's a bad idea. Well, no, I think playing a cover at a show is a great idea. No, but I, I mean, like a tribute, record? a tribute to the Fastbacks. Like, is that a bad idea? Oh no, 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 no! I'm saying one band does a record of their ten favorite covers. It feels, it feels like uh, not to use an old Mister Show joke, but I mean, it, it's kind of like here's the video for Sugar Cube by Yola Tango where they go to rock school, and and David Cross is like, and then your your third record should be the live album. You know, it's it's yeah. weird how there still is this cycle where at a certain point, you know, you got to put out the best of the greatest hits, the whatever, and ELO has like 170 of those. But right. you know, at a certain point, it seems like when you really start to dry things up. 
not so different than Paul and Get Back or what would become Let It Be, where Paul was like, hey, look, guys, to keep this together, we've really got to get back to our roots. Right. And so a lot of that was going in and going back to covering a lot of stuff that didn't make it on the album, I think, was yeah. like covers of old rock and roll songs that they but loved. But they also managed to write Long and Let It wherever. Be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, no. I totally agree. I totally agree. But I mean, well, I guess I'm, I'm agreeing with you in that yes. it's, it's maybe not desperate, but it's like if you were still full of ideas. I mean, you, you look at you look at Van Halen. Van Halen had two albums in the can after like a few weeks. Surprisingly, right. you read that article. I didn't know that. I didn't know that like... First that, album was great. Second album? I think the second album's really good too. But the point is they recorded them at the same time. Right. And they still had tracks left over. Right. You know like Spanish Fly? I'm saying that Van Halen 2 mm-hmm. is... Not in the top five Van Halen records. Really? Yeah. Women and Children First. What's the Easily. one with Unchained? What's the one with Unchained? That's e- uh, Fair Warning. Yeah. Fair Warning and Women and Children First are my two favorite Van Halen records. And, Stop. Really? And, and, yeah. Because they, wow. oh, they're so dark. They're so, mm-hmm. oh, they're so smart. I, I had a cassette tape with, with, with those AB sides. That's a, just, that's, that is a good one. I think I still got to say, I mean, to me, Van Halen won like side one of Master of Puppets. Yeah. I mean, like side one of Master of Puppets, I don't know what your feeling on that is, but to me, that's like, that's almost perfect. It's, it's an amazing record. The whole record's great, but the first yeah. side of that is, you know. Van Halen won. I, I would never say a bad word about it. It is one of the great albums. It is it is bulletproof. And in fact, yeah, it's it like. It sounds so different. It sounds so up, different from everything it, else. It's kind of maybe up above the level where where I feel like I could even make a critical appraisal. Well, it's it. kind of like going like, like Magical Mystery is. Tour isn't as good as Revolver. It's still a pretty good record. Sure. It's not a great record. It's not really a great record. You Let's know, be honest. Did I tell you, I, I, don't know if I, I don't know if you know this. I was able to peg both Van Halen's apotheosis, their zenith, as well as the beginning of the end, in mm. four words. Mm, you hear hear it? It. One break coming up. <laughs> that was it. When, that was where the but, but roller coaster tipped over. Give us a break. <laughs> Give me a break, Dave. When he does those four words, you, you, you go, on the one hand, this is the David Lee Rothiest David Lee Roth. This is it. This is back when he was still awesome, but you yeah. could go, that's the beginning. Like a couple years later, you get Justin Gigolo. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. You can you can almost hear Eddie Van Halen's eyeballs rolling in his head. Yes, at that moment of like, oh Jesus, what have we become? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And yeah. um, and I mean, you know, they probably did. I don't know, knowing them, they probably didn't do tons of takes, but they must, it was presumably Ted Templeman that's saying that. You think, right? When he come goes, on, Dave. Give, me, come come on, give me a break. That's probably supposed to be Ted Templeman, right? Yeah, but I mean, that's don't you think that's kind of a manicured outtake moment? You're, you're 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 speculating that it wasn't completely spontaneous. <laughs> well, we talked about this before, like the count in on a song or the studio uh, noise. Like you hear uh, that with the Beach Boys, you hear that with the Beatles. You listen yeah. to enough Beatles. Well, you probably don't do this, but if you listen to enough Beatles bootlegs, you know that there's a lot of crazy stuff that went on in the studio that's really funny and silly. And you know, John did so, count into the songs. He actually did, counted into the songs. The Beatles did forty takes. Of they did. Song. Have you ever heard the alternate take of "And Your Bird Can Sing"? I'm I'm sure I have. Oh, dude, it's, but I can't. It's, uh, bring it, I can't bring it to the front of my. You mind. like a, you like a Rick twelve string, right? Of course. Oh, okay. well, no. Wait a minute. Here, I've got something for you. I'm going to out Beatles you, buddy. That's I'm easy gonna, enough. I'm not a super fan. I'm going to send this right back at you, uh, Ira from mm-hmm. Not a Surf, not and I were talking last mm-hmm. night. He's the tall and one who's nice. He's the tall, nice one. Although they're all nice. Well, two of them. 
But he said, he said, I he guess direct- you didn't see just now. I was sweeping the dreadlocks out of my face while I smoked. <laughs> you, I he can't. said, uh, it's going to be in here, magazines. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to Google. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. Do you have your Google on? Let me get my Google on. Okay. I'm ready. Google Randy Bachman. First chord of hard day's night. Or Randy, Randy Cock. Uh, Randy Bachman, Bachman, hard day's night. Hard day's night. Mm-hmm. And what you will find. It's actually is- two chords. You know that, right? It's three chords what? because it's guitars. I used to think it was an open six strings of the guitar. No. Oh, Randy it's Bachman, three guitars? Randy Bachman explains, well, because of the bass. There's the bass in there, too. Uh, Randy Bachman explains. Of BTO? He, of BTO. Huh. And, yeah, yeah, Randy Bachman explains that he went to Abbey Road, and they called up, he, they, and they said, we have all the Beatles masters here. What do you want to hear? Uh, and he said, I want to hear the first chord of Hard Day's Night. And so they called it up, and it turns out it's it, George on the 12-string playing an F. I'm not going to sit here and tell you what and it a, is. You listen to it. Well, is there is there somebody playing? George playing an F, with a, with, but he's got, two, he's got the t- top G and the bottom G added onto the F. And then John is playing a D sus4 on his guitar, and then Paul is playing D on the bass. I, I and these God, guys are like. I, I thought it was okay. So he's playing like an open F with G, like G on the top and bottom, and then and then so. But then these guys are standing. Four. They're sitting there with their guitars as yeah. C. Again, put a, put a D. Wow, and that sounds so discordant. It, and and then these guys in this Randy Bachman thing, he actually goes, "Ready, guys, one, two, three, four, bang!" And they hit the chord. And tears come to your eyes because it's exactly the chord. Damn. Yeah. Huh. I never would have guessed that. Nerds. Huh. Anyway, I, I love the beginning. To... I love the beginning of that tax man. Did we say one time we're going to do? Oh, <laughs> we're tax... going to do a podcast yeah. just about tax man. Forget about tax man. God, I <sighs> when those remastered things came out and tax, I was listening to it in my car. Tax man came on. I was like, give me a fucking break. You can hear. You can mm. hear the mosquitoes in the room. Oh, yeah. That recording is so, so tight. Is, I think, is it Anya Birkin sing? I think that might be the only Beatles song, according to Paul, that he never played on. George plays bass on that. Oh, wow. No, wait. No, wait. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She said, so she said, no, wait, no, 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 no. Take it all back. Take it all back. Paul plays second guitar on Anya Birkin sing because he's the best guitar player in the band. And he did not play on I Want to Say She Said She Said. I'm pretty sure. But- uh, you're including all those, all the songs, uh, all the he John songs later. Paul was on everything, according to Paul. Oh, um, you know what? I, I don't have this in front of me. We're going to get letters. Narrator. We're going to get letters. McCartney. But you know, there's a bunch of ones where you know, as you know, he ended up playing drums on some of the White Album stuff. And as we discussed, he yeah. plays many of the most interesting guitar parts on some of our favorite Beatles. Songs. I just sat in a dressing room in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, not a week ago. I heard somebody said something nice about us there. That's what I heard. Oh, a lot of people listening to Roderick on the Line. I saw you on the YouTube talking about our program. Oh, was I on the YouTube? You're tuning your guitars. Pointing out to my wife, not it was certainly cool that you mentioned the show, but it was super cool. I said, Did you do you get why this is great? I said, because he's tuning his guitar. This is why banter works. Yeah. You gotta talk about it. It took you a while. It took you a while. You must were you were you in drop D? What were you doing? You doing some slayer? What, what were you doing? <clears throat> I did an uh, I'm doing an open D at Ugh. that point. So I had a lot of I had to tune all six strings of the guitar. Yuck. But anyway, I'm sitting in this dressing room, and this guy, a local Philadelphia musician, is back there to talk to the headliner. Guy from the Zom- is a guy from uh, from the Hooters? Uh, no, he wasn't from the Hooters. Although he could, he looked like he could have been in the Hooters. Okay, sorry, go ahead. And he is. He starts talking about Paul McCartney, and he's like, "There's three things I won't. I won't. Uh, there's three things I won't take in this in this world. I won't take people talking shit about Philadelphia. 
because I'm from Philadelphia. And I won't take some other thing that I, that didn't register with me and I don't care about. And he said, then the third thing I won't take is anybody talking shit about Paul McCartney. And I was like, oh boy, you're in the wrong dressing room. Wait a minute. I thought you were on my side with Paul. You're on the John side? No, no, no. I love Paul. I love Paul, but I'm not somebody that's not going to talk shit about Paul. Here we go. Because if you love something, you must talk shit about it. You must shit it free. We used to, that's pretty good. We used to it say comes, that in college that you, you won't really finish your thesis until you hate the topic. Yeah, the, I, there, Paul McCartney is absolutely unimpeachable as a musician, as a composer. But, but he kept God. the band together. But God, what a penis head. You're saying Paul up through 1970, you're calling him a fucking penis head? Well, Have you watched Let It Be? You see how hard he tries? No, no, no. He's amazing. But he just, he seems like the guy that's walking around their shared apartment, picking up cigarette butts and going, guys, guys, can I? Oh, I get he, it. This is a veiled just, thing about me. It's really about me, isn't it? <laughs> You're saying you I'm Paul, Paul, right? McCartney. You're the Paul McCartney of Roderick on the line. I'll play whatever you want me to play. If you don't want me to play, I won't play at all. <laughs> That's not what Paul would say, and then though. Yoko, fucking Yoko walks in and sits in George's empty seat. Yeah. Tell me that's not symbolic. There was a, there was, there were a lot of, you know, I don't think I'm going to be the first to say there were a lot of problems with the Beatles. They had a lot of problems. And what I didn't realize was how, how early, relatively early on, John was already like, I hate this. Like he, you know, even before Yoko, when he was like sitting around being depressed in the suburbs and smoking weed. Anyway. Okay. Let's let's save that for the other show. But due diligence, uh, Lennon was a prick. I mean, Paul Paul was an asshole, but Lennon was a a total. He said awful things. He was a total prick. Tell him what he said. Somebody ask him uh, if Ringo was the best uh, drummer in rock and roll. What'd he say? Uh, he's the best drummer in the Beatles. No. No, he didn't even say that. No, he said he's not best drummer <laughs> in rock. He's not even the best drummer in the Beatles. <laughs> what an asshole. <laughs> Granny shit. Uh, I wish I knew my Beatles. Court. God damn it. It makes me mad. Well, you know, there's always a greater Beatles fan. You got to just stay out of the way because those guys get serious. They live in Japan. We don't even understand what they're saying. Talk about you uh, making fun of Matthew Sweet. Is he in I, Japan? Would not make, I would not make fun of Matthew Sweet because he's working with Susanna Hoffs and I am not. Hmm. If somebody's going to be, if 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 somebody is standing within twenty five feet of Susanna Hoffs, I think that they are. You can't say a bad thing about She's him. She's got a pretty voice. Yeah, and here's the thing: I was not a Susanna Hoffs fan back in the day, in the Walk Like an Egyptian era. I thought that she yeah. was. You didn't like Manic was, Monday? It's a cover. Is it Prince? Yeah. Or, uh, yeah. Okay. But I didn't like her. I thought she was too small. She was too. She, she, kept, too, she keeps looking sideways. I keep going. What's yeah, she, look, what's she looking cloying. at? What's she looking at? She keeps. It's like, like she thinks somebody's going to. Like there's a sniper on this side or that side. She keeps looking into, to the right or left. I don't know but why. Then somebody sent me, a, again, a YouTube clip. I hate to advertise YouTube. Mm-hmm. But it's a place where you can watch videos mm-hmm. uh, that are not copyright protected. Mm-hmm. But in any case, somebody sent me this. Um, Susanna Hoff's video from like early 90s where she's playing an outdoor rock festival and her band is doing a cover of uh, like when the levee breaks or something like that. <laughs> I don't know what it was. I forget. It was some like classic rock tune and she's wearing these uh, these little black uh, uh, stretch pants or whatever. Okay. Now you got me. And she is and this, she's not in the bangles or the bananaramas or whatever the hell band she was in. <laughs> She's got a she's got a band full of dudes and they're like guitar face making like strat up to strat with the strap too high dudes like LA dudes. Mm-hmm. Everything about it's wrong, but they launch into this tune and she just kills it and it's like daytime 
rock festival thing. It's not even it's not even night. She's probably fifth on a bill of fifteen, but she just kills it. And and I, I walked away like Susanna Hoffs. Okay, whatever whatever else I used to think, Susanna Hoffs can really bring. She I, I just searched her. I don't want to advertise Google Images, but she has done. She's got some kind of fucking Dorian Gray going on. She is great, right? She is a handsome, handsome woman today. Yeah, yeah. She's got to be fifty years old. Oh, see, this amazing. is why I'm glad I didn't peak in high school. Boy, she looks so much better now. Look, peak, I'm not, she's P-E-A-K, peak. Oh, I guess both peaks are P-E-A-K. Mm, peak twin, as in... Both of them, the twin peaks? The top See, of I, a peak or peak as in peak around a corner. I got to catch up on that. Did you peak in high school? I always imagine... I peaked every kind of, night in high school. You're kind of a peak. <laughs> Sometimes I peak three or four times a day. I bet. It's the only way to concentrate on anything. Yeah. Uh, caustic resin. I, Caustic uh, resin. Isn't that yeah, from the, the ultimate uh, alternative waivers, that guy was named Brent. Uh Brent. Brett. Yeah, I I, uh, I buttonholed him at a show, a Caustic Resin show one time, just so I could be all spoogy about ultimate alternative waivers. Yeah. It was really interesting because like when you talk about um which is a built spill record, yeah. uh the first one that I heard that I fell in love with and it's their first one. It's the first album. Did they have the car? The car single was before that? It was on K, it was like a K record. Wow. Anyway, it's early. This is very early. And he wasn't even in the band anymore because then I think he had, you know, challenges. But um like a he's, lot of, he's, he's like a, a lot of people guy. he had he had challenges, like a lot of you Seattle people. Yeah. Um but it's just so weird. I mean, like it it's when you talk about built to spill, and I you know, I, I won't even go to see Built to Spill because they always play Slims. Mm-hmm. Like Sloan is the only band I will go to see at Slims. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, X. I've seen X. Other than that, you know why? No matter where you stand, there's no sightline anywhere at Slims. It makes me crazy. You've this never- is a this is an interesting thing about about American clubs, and I just realized this opening for Amy Mann mm-hmm. on the East Coast. I played all these cities that I've played many, 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 many times. But opening for Amy Mann, I was suddenly in. I was playing these clubs that not only had I never been to, but I had never heard of, and they are big clubs in each one of these cities that. Uh, I mean, Philadelphia, obviously, I played the World Cafe where I play, and, and, and New York, the big cities, sure, you, you play the big clubs. But like out in Alexandria, Virginia, or Annapolis, Maryland, playing these places where people sit down at tables to watch a show, you got you got a thousand people in there, and everybody's talking about this club like, oh, it's a legend. This club's been here forever. It's legendary. And I'm like, I have never heard of this club. And I go and I look on the wall, and there's like, all the people that have played in this club and I'm going down the list and I'm like, uh, it's a whole separate music scene. The, the Lucinda Williams's and the, right. and the, and the Peter Sh- Paul and Sean Mary's, Colvin. Sean Colvin. And there's a whole network of clubs that, that honestly, there could be, there could be a whole music scene of people that are like, I go to clubs every night. I've been to clubs all around the world. And and they have never crossed paths with me except at a truck stop somewhere where they were headed. They were headed to Alexandria. It's like, a, it's like a parallel universe. It's a parallel universe of clubs and rock fans that are that are just doing this other thing. I bet Susanna Hoffs is playing at those places, in fact, right now with, uh, with Matthew Sweet. Hmm. But for instance, you... Can't even stand to go to Slims, and hate that, it. I hate that, it. That, no matter that, where you stand, no matter where you stand at Slims, you're in somebody's way. 
Yeah. I mean, I mean, a bottom of the hill is like that, but there are places at bottom of the hill where you can camp out. Yeah, you can get into a corner at bottom of the hill. Yeah, and you can still hear what's going on. Well, is, and now you tell me this: uh, in San Francisco, there's like a rule of two, right? Isn't there like a? You, I think you might have told me this, or I heard it somewhere. But you start out like where you play Cafe de Nord, right. and like I'm gonna get this wrong, and people will tell me, but like uh, two Cafe de Nords is a bottom of the hill. Two mm-hmm. bottom of the hills is a Great American. Two Great Americans is a Fillmore. Is it is that kind of right? Isn't there like I, a like a step I feel like, thing? I, I feel like that is true. Yeah. Although the or production the Warfield, costs, the Warfield's big and annoying too because yeah. it's the owned by the fucking Fillmore people. Go up, go up uh, exponentially too. Or I mean, it's more expensive to put on a show at the Fillmore than it is, you know, to put on three at the bottom of the hill or whatever. Do you I have mean, any that, idea how hard it is to find forty five angry hippies to act like they like music? <laughs> staff there no no you go to the great american you like you get your dude there the backstage dude they treat you right at the great american right yeah yeah yeah, absolutely well seattle has a similar thing except it's kind of a a rule of threes like it's three crocodiles used to be a show box three show boxes are a paramount but there are a lot of bands like death cab and and uh and built a spill for instance and modest mouse these bands could have played a paramount but they would rather play three show boxes Mm mm-hmm because in the end, you walk with more money from three show boxes. No, oh, I think that's I think that's super smart. Yeah. You know, that's the one reason. Now, now, for example, didn't you and Sean open for They Might Be Giants one time? We opened for them yeah. many times. Yeah, we no, but I mean, here in town. But now, now, Hall, yeah. That night at Great American, it was a sit-down thing. It's a weird show because, you know, they're trying to make a little extra dough on chicken fingers and shit. So you, pay, you, pay, you pay more. Like, if you want a seat up in the mezzanine where you can see... Yeah. Or you want to show on the seat on the floor. If you want a seat, you got to pay and you got to order fucking food. You got to right. like, it's real stupid. Well, but, let me tell you a little thing about the music business. Mm, tell me. Here's the uh, thing. Uh, it's, uh, people are trying to make money. Everybody. You mean like almost everybody? Yeah. And they'll sell you chicken fingers if that's what it takes. Hmm. Listen, Merlin, right now I would sell you chicken fingers if, if, if I thought I could get them to you hot and fresh. This is what separates you. You're a pro. I don't want to sell you cold chicken fingers or mm-hmm. have you open a box and it's like these chicken they're, they're not crispy anymore if i hmm. could get them to you right now i would this is what makes you artisanal and it's what makes our show artisanal mm-hmm. you know i sometimes bemoan the fact that we're not uh, you know ridiculously popular as a program but yeah. you know what i i don't want to have i don't want to have the doug march problem i don't i don't want to be entertaining dumbasses i like the fact that we're getting people who can tolerate a huge amount of ping pong mm-hmm. and a little bit of vagina talk to, to get to someplace important Something happened to me the other a uh, couple of weeks ago. I went on to your Twitter account mm-hmm. and read your at replies. Sorry. Now, I have never done this before. I've never gone on to a friend's Twitter account and read what people are saying to them. And I was appalled at the way people talk to you. How's that? I was appalled. Well, there are all these ding-dongs out there correcting you on stuff where you're not wrong. They're like, oh, no, Merlin, man. You're the blah, 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 and, blah, 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 blah. and everybody's got to, I mean, no, you get, you get tons and tons of uh, people congratulating you and telling you they're your hero. But there are also all these people who presume that it's their place to correct you on some this or that. It is. That's their place. I'm not, I'm not criticizing that. Well, that's what it's for. I mean, they got, they got a keyboard just like me, you know? Yeah, I you know the thing is I've said this before, but like I I've been corrected for for spelling Wookie incorrectly, and I've been <laughs> well, criticized that, I for understand. spelling it correctly. Oh. I've had I've had to have arguments with people about whether I spelled it incorrectly or correctly. Mm. It's not really super hard to find out how the correct spelling of something is, and yet no matter what you do, somebody's going to think argument. it's wrong. 
Yeah, it's a kind of argument. It is. It is. Now, now I don't understand because now you, you well, you're always arguing with people on your on, on your Twitter because you say provocative things and then you respond. Yeah, you're saying but, mine is more caustic. I get more caustic responses. You say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, people people respond to to my Twitter account with uh, with only the most like fearful deference. Hmm, I gotta start like, reading those. <laughs> like, Mister Roderick, you, I'm sorry to interrupt those? you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt you, sir. But I just wanted to say thank you for everything you do for us. Mm-hmm. Signed, loyal fan. It must be a lot of people who are finally at a point where they're willing to share how much you've helped them. Mm-hmm. Like for a long time, it's probably hard to even, you know, get the wherewithal to obviously approach a man of your stature. But then yeah. to be able to be so open, to be so exposed to right. someone like you. Right. People people want, they want to, they, I, I get the feeling that a lot of people before they reply to me on Twitter, they put on they they change their clothes. They put on some better clothes. Mm-hmm. They like put on. I'm not saying Sunday best, Mm-mm. but they they dress to impress. Some something not clean, but less dirty. Less dirty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, maybe they maybe they put on a hat and cleanest then they, dirty shirt. And they uh, then they reply to me on Twitter and and uh, sometimes I reply, sometimes I don't. What do they do after that? Do they uh, go pick up a prescription? Do they take off the clothes? They get the I Xbox? think they probably sit in a chair and stare at the floor and think about the wording of the tweet they sent to me and wonder if they maybe could have done it better or they're and then they then they get kind of paranoid like oh fuck did he could have he could totally misinterpret what i said yes and then they think should i send him a second tweet clarifying tweet mm. most of them don't some this, of this them is do. what makes the the end of the evening dangerous uh especially any, anywhere you are where there's drinks whether it's the end of the the event uh, at something like Macworld, in my case, or whether it's the end of the evening for you, and I know you usually hide in your dressing room behind your phalanx of guards, but it's right. it's when people five a.m. is the end of the evening. For when me. the people who would have like milled around and just come up and said hi earlier, they they get they get eleven or sixteen drinks in them, and and then there's a lot of there's a lot of candor. Yeah. Do you ever get a lot of candor? I do get a lot of candor, particularly on this last tour because I started selling hugs. Did you really sell hugs? Yeah, I forgot to bring any merchandise. I thought that was a meme. And I was sitting, I was sitting backstage, and I was like, I didn't bring any merchandise on this tour. And hmm. and uh, <clears throat> Amy Mann says, Well, you got to have merchandise because uh, because how else are people going to show that they love you? Should have bought chicken fingers. Buy something. I, I should have. What I should have done is ordered chicken fingers on my backstage rider, and then <laughs> sold them from the stage. I got a chicken finger here. Who wants a chicken finger? But uh, so I said, I'll sell you hugs for five bucks. Uh, uh, high fives for high fives for two. Fist bumps for one. And I went up there, and let me tell you, you hug somebody after a show, and you're, then they, you're very you're very moist after a show, John. I am, but I'm a a great hugger, dry or wet, wet or dry. I can give you both kinds. And uh, and you hug somebody, and then they're really going to tell you a story. You know, it's not like it's not like they're walking by like, "Hey, great show." I mean, they stop and they got they got a story to tell. Yeah. And I love people's stories. You know me. I love, I, I, I love a story, too. I, you know, you said something a long time ago that I wasn't so sure about. And mm. like all things with you, it takes a minute to sink in. Like, mm. I'm not sure I'm as extroverted as I thought. I mean, I'm definitely oh. a loudmouth, but I think I'm, I don't want to say I'm introverted, but I, I definitely had a certain point I could feel it coming, like a cold coming on. I could feel that mm, I'm going to need to not be on soon. Yeah. And what, what did I tell you that you, that, that you took a while to think about? Well, that I told a lot you of people, you were less extroverted than you thought. Yes. Yeah. That's right. You were right. Mm-hmm. You're right. You're right. But you know, it's hard. You gotta, there's a phrase like uh, you got to recharge your battery. I think that's important. Yep. Now, now, do you get do you get time to recharge your battery? You're out there with. An, oh, by the way, Amy Mann. I'm pretty sure I heard a song of hers in the uh, Tim and Eric movie. 
Yes, she's friends with uh, Tim. What? Yeah. They, in fact, they co-wrote a song together. Oh, man. I know. I got to get mobbed up with these famous people. Small world. It's small world. You know, maybe I don't. You know what? I like my life. My life is modest. It is manageable. Mm-hmm. You know? And, you know, I don't know if I need, need a lot of celebrities in my life. That must be hard for you, John. You know a lot of very famous people, including mm-hmm. yourself. Yes. Is that hard to manage? Uh, no, because I... Uh... <clears throat> You know, because I have cultivated this this air of um, of impenetrability, right? Mm. So, so room even had that in the early nineties, huh? Yeah. Well, then I had a, I cultivated an air of of intoxicated ability. <laughs> now <laughs> you can't was, remember how penetrable you were. <laughs> now there's a now there was an era in between. There was an era where I was penetrable, and now you know, and it's it's an air of impenetrability. It isn't that I'm actually impenetrable. Oh, okay. But so I'm in a I'm in a room full of famous people or whatever people are going nuts all around me and uh, and I, I just uh, I let it bounce off me. But it seems like people must constantly be calling you. Please come and you know what perform in Dubai with Catherine Zeta Jones. Yeah, yeah. Please visit you know uh, you know go to Las Vegas and visit somebody's tiger or something. You must get a lot of things you have to manage. You know, yeah. on the yeah. calendar. In fact, uh, you're gonna love this. Mm-hmm. The mayor's office called me and said we want you to be. Uh, on a panel talking about because they're really trying to promote Seattle as a as a music town um, <laughs> after years and years and years of trying to squash every music or cultural related activity here there's a new mayor and uh, he likes music and so uh, I'm I'm on this panel like this panel with Sir Mix a lot it's not even a panel it's me and Sir Mix a lot you call him Mix Mix mm-hmm. and um and we're talking about we're talking about social networking, and I'm like, what are you what are you talking about? I don't want to be on this. And they're like, no, no, no. Paste Magazine says you're the number one musician to follow, and you live here in oh, Seattle, so God. you can be on our panel and talk about social networking. And I'm like, to to whom? Well, you know who, to whom? A room full of ding dongs. Absolutely. Like, oh my so God, how tedious! I'm going to sit up on this panel with Mix, and Mix, of course. Is gonna go. I don't know. I don't. I don't do that. I just. Woo. I mean, Mix doesn't tweet, or if he does, I don't know about it. And then, they're, then they're gonna look at me, and I'm gonna say, "Yeah, here's the secret. Uh, be funny, I guess, and like be be nice, uh, and and keep moving and get out of the way. Thank you. Good night." And then somebody comes up and gives you their uh, little half size moo card and says, "Follow me." I'm gonna get 700 business cards at this thing. Every time somebody hands me a card, I say the same thing. I, I try to say, like, uh, this is nothing against anybody, but, like, I'm really not taking any paper tonight. And they <laughs> laugh, and they hand it to me, and I say, can I be super honest with you? What should I do with this? Right. Like, are, are we supposed to set an appointment for something? I'm right. supposed to write your name down in a book? It's nothing against you. It's just that, like, what do you do with all of those cards? Do they like, look hurt while you're saying this Well, to of them? course they do, because I'm being honest. Yeah. And, and honesty harms people. When yeah. you say to somebody, they say, hey, Zibba Zabba, let's have a Zibba Zabba meeting. And you go, like, you know, I barely have time to love my daughter. Like, yeah. I... I, I, I I mean, this is nothing against you, but like, how do you accept, not you, but this person I'm speaking to, like, how do right. you accept all those things? Like, is that, is that like, is, right. is that paying out a lot of benefits? Cause, and here's the other problem with the social well, media thing. There are thing. people that, there are people that follow up. This is the thing about people. They well, follow, they follow up. up about what? Well, they send you a thing and they're like, Hey, following up on that, 
on that handshake that we had at that meeting, just following up to say, <sighs> Two really words. enjoyed your show. Index and, uh, cards. Index cards. You hand them an index <laughs> card. You say, start here. When I pretend to fall. Nice meeting you. Have a good night. That's what I do. I do that 10 times a week. I say, when I pretend to fall, go buy this record. It's really good. Yeah. Instead, here's the other thing. Here's your, hey, uh, so uh, just uh, tell you what, uh, drop me an email and I'll tell you about that thing. Like, yeah. What? Like you know, and, and and like the thing is, I'm the cock, right? But Not it's like what, what? Like we just talked for five minutes, and now like we got to do another thing. Like yeah. how does that? How does that scale? Now here's the problem with these social media people. This is the problem with the social media thing. Tell is, me. Is, is well, I'm you doing know that. Panel, you see. Okay, so why does that thing exist? Because it's now a racket. Yeah, right? so it is you a racket. You used to talk. We used to talk about things like you know SEO, social, uh, rather a search engine optimization or search engine you know marketing, and that's still a thing. But now the thing is, there's people who don't even have fucking websites anymore. They're like, just come fit our, our site is come to Facebook. And yeah. I can't even get on Facebook because I turned my account off, so you don't exist for me anymore. Well, this, I got in a huge argument with Hodgman the other day because I was like, hey, stop tweeting about your Tumblr. Hmm. Like, tumble about your Tumblr, tweet about your tweet. Don't tweet you about stick your to stick to Scrabble and uh, the best show on WFMU. <laughs> Hashtag. And he said, he said, first thing, don't tell me I'm doing it wrong. And second thing, uh, I, I want I want people to go over to my Tumblr because I like it better. And I'm like, well, screw you. I mean, here's the thing: he has seven thousand Tumblr followers and mm-hmm. seven hundred thousand Twitter followers, yeah. and he likes doing his Tumblr better. But he's afraid to leave his seven hundred thousand followers. It's difficult. Behind. It's a difficult thing to do. It's very natural to want to leverage one thing to another thing. Everybody does it. It's yeah. but you have to be somewhat circumspect, and everybody makes their own decisions well, about so, that. So I was I was bitching about this on mm. Twitter as you do. Oh jeez! And then somebody on my Facebook page said, <laughs> "Why am I reading about this on Facebook?" <laughs> because my Twitter was ported over to my Facebook, and he, I got called. Yeah. Not everybody does it. I mean, like, here's the thing, though. This I'm going to the- get a Tumblr is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a Tumblr. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a Tumblr. I'm going to fucking tweet about it on my Facebook. If you get a Tumblr, you should also get a Twitter that auto-announces to your Twitter, and then you can retweet that. Oh, you could get some. You can get something that auto toots to, to all your tweeters. I'm writing all this down so I can take this to my to my uh, seminar. My okay. Uh, here's my problem. Every time you meet somebody who calls himself his or him or herself a social media expert or a social media uh, consultant, this is why I carry a fire extinguisher everywhere I go. Because when somebody says that to me, I just hit him right in the face with a fire. Not not not, not, the, not the stream. You hit not, him with a literal fire extinguisher. <laughs> hit him. It's an empty fire extinguisher. <laughs> that I filled with sand and then I just hit up with it. <laughs> and you know what? You, if social there, media expert. If there fuck is a you. fire, if there's an electrical fire, you got sand to throw on it. Nothing wrong with that. If you're a social media expert, I want to see you have one million followers because okay. other, otherwise... Can I, can, I, can, I, can I put a little bit of sauce on that spaghetti? Somebody comes to you and says, hi, I'm a social media expert. I, I help people build their social media presence. Whether that's an SEO person, whether that is a social media person, whether that any kind of service that somebody does where they say, I will make you this thing, hey, look at me, ask them this. What is your second – tell me what the second or third most successful site you've ever done is besides your own. Put more pointedly, show me one thing that you've ever done that's not about social media or SEO or whatever. Show me one thing that's more famous than your own site about SEO. Show me one thing that is more famous than your own fucking Twitter account about social media marketing. Because right. you know what? I think you're somebody who's really good at marketing yourself and you got somebody else paying the freight. Yeah. And you know what? You're never going to turn Bob's Wiener Barn into a Facebook sensation 
they're never going to be as popular as you because all you do all day is fucking have social media bullshit about social media bullshit. This it's turtles all the way down, John. This is the I problem. This is what's wrong with Seattle. This is why no musician will move back to Seattle. Yeah, I say this very thing. Anytime somebody offers me relationship advice, hmm. I'm like, have you been married for 40 years and raised five kids to adulthood? Then shut up. Well, go, see, back and, go back to minding your own business okay, because you don't but know if, anything. What if you're really good at breaking up with people? Oh, that's well, a kind of relationship advice. Is, that's a thing I could write a book about. Mm-hmm. They call it sell, selling short. How to break up with somebody, <laughs> and, and they don't even realize it until you're a thousand miles away. Wait a minute, did I just get broken up with? Wait a minute, huh? too, too late. The ninja, the ninja is gone. <laughs> you know what, kid? That happened to me once. <laughs> Out write, the window. Write, write me a check. Yeah. That that's a that's a goddamn shame, you know. Because eh, you know what, this is boring. We shouldn't talk about the internet. That makes, tell- that makes me mad, though. You know, it's one thing to go like I'm going to go. And you know where you see this? You see this with the fucking comics, the quote unquote funny people on the Twitter who oh, are I never thought you funny. Were talking about the funny pages. Oh, you mean I, like in a like in a newspaper? Yeah, I was. I I have a whole I have a whole grievance about the newspaper funnies. But you go ahead and talk about comics. No, the other comics. Well, no, I just think it's I think it's a little bit. You know what? ironic paradoxical that some of the most first of all some of the most joyless people in the universe make a living theoretically making people laugh oh they're so mad but then you go on twitter and they're not even funny it's just they're like terrible. come catch me at the laugh shack in pasadena yeah like that's they're not funny terrible. that's not a, <laughs> that's not even like you know tim and eric meta anti-funny anyway well, go and ahead frankly i like tim and eric and oh, i think I tim, tim heidecker is a great guy but have he's you not met a him great, uh i have not met him but i but i hear i hear nice things about him when are you gonna introduce me to that lee unkrich guy well, you know, Lee is a busy guy making okay. uh, right, making right. Uh, making famous movies. I at responded to Brad Bird today, which I, I very seldom do with famous people. Yeah, and has he replied? No, no, I don't need that. Yeah, yeah. Did you I'm, see very, the, I'm very popular on Twitter. I don't need people to respond. Did, did you see the Adam Savage thing? Mm-mm. Maybe blow somebody's house up? Adam Savage covered the Commander Thinks Aloud. <gasps> oh, on, on piano, right? Piano, yeah. That's all, I, you know, I told you the time, one of the times I was in his man cave, he was playing uh, the, the Ultimatum record. Yeah, well, he's he covered likes it. You. I think he likes he covered you. It, he covered it on stage, and now it's a now it's a, a, a YouTube. That's another YouTube plug. God, let me ask you this about YouTube. What is the deal with all the ukulele covers? When did that become a thing? Every time I look for a song now, there's like there's like a bunch of people with like their computer taking a picture of themselves playing a ukulele song. Here's the thing about the ukulele. Okay, it is actually pretty easy to play. <laughs> Not Compared well. to, say, like a French horn or a bassoon? Yeah. Not well. <laughs> it is easy to play not well, but you can pick up a ukulele and very quickly you can be playing music, mm-hmm. which is something that you can't say about the bassoon. You can't really even do that with the guitar and certainly not the piano. But you It's can impossible to do with an oboe. You cannot play good music on an oboe full never, stop. Never done. Yeah, it hasn't been done. Um, but ukulele, so ukulele is like the, it's the, it's the gateway drug to making twee pop music. And there's really nothing that doesn't sound good on a ukulele. And here's the thing. If you are a great ukuleleist, it still sounds like you're playing a child's toy. Like, even the best ukuleleist, it's still like, plinkity, plink, plinky, plinkity, plink. But it, it, it is, no, don't get me wrong, no. I'm not, go, I'm not, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go anti-ukulele. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a wonderful instrument. It sounds really, it sounds really cool. I love that it's so, what, not democratic? It's, it's <laughs> easy enough to pick up. I think that's great. We've talked before about how basically you could be a retarded person and get okay at guitar. It's not a hard instrument. I had a friend right. who played French horn. She had to practice a lot to oh, not yeah, suck at French horn. Well, because they have to build up their lips. When you got to get your fist in there. You have to have amazing lips. Mm, nice embouchure. You ever make out with a French horn player? Yeah. They could they could squeeze the top off of a 
mason jar. She had she had probably a four octave range with her mouth. She had an extraordinary <laughs> amount of control. No, I'm serious. I didn't know what was going on. I thought I was making out with four people. Yeah. It was great. She bought me breakfast, too. It was nice. Oh, my God. You let her go. But you, you got a pretty I good I let one. them all go, John. That's part of my relationship advice. <laughs> RT. But, uh, but so anyway, a ukulele now, like so, like six years ago, there were no ukuleles. Now there are all ukuleles. I don't know what I don't know what to tell you. It's like, it's... um. But but that's a, I guess that's a thing. It seems like there's a lot of ukulele covers. You don't see, like for just I don't want to belabor the point, but you don't see a lot of French horn covers on YouTube. No, you don't. And I predict that the, I predict two years from now it's going to be the zither. Everybody has a zither. Now what about it's that lady, the, that screamy lady with the harp? Have have harps caught on because of the screamy lady? Oh, harps are a expensive, b huge, and mm-hmm. c really hard to play. No, people prefer to look at Joanna Newsom from 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 a respectful distance. That's like, a perfect, I, nobody perfect way to, to listen to. Although I did judge a uh, a local like teen music competition. Is this the School of Rock thing? No, no, no. It's oh. a different thing. It's a uh, EMP puts this thing on a teen uh, student music competition called Sound Off, and I judged it uh, one year. And there was a girl playing the solo harp and and yodeling, and I was like, well, I get, I didn't think that this was a thing, but now it's going to be a thing. You know what? I'll say this. I don't want to make this an ad for YouTube. You go and you watch anything with any of the Marx Brothers playing an instrument, and it's delightful. Those guys are massively talented. Oh, just watching watching Chico uh, play the piano with the little gun thing. But I'm telling you, man, Harpo knew what that when he knew what he was doing on that harp. That's just, right. Yeah, I mean, that, they don't call you Harpo for nothing. What is that? Duck Soup, the one where they sing "Everyone Says I Love You." You know, that uh, you're, one? You're, uh, you know, uh, uh, between the two of us. Oh no, I, you're not gonna I, say it. You're not gonna say I, it, are you? I may be the John, and you may be the Paul of Roderick on the line, hmm. but you are definitely gonna be the Marx Brothers authority. I just want to be uh, loved. I know you do, and you are. You are loved. Those are good you're, movies. You're deeply loved. You're deeply respected out there in the world. Just, please don't. Susanna Everywhere Hoffs, I go, Susanna Hoffs, Bob Gnarly. Bob Gnarly, that's pretty good. Costa Grezin. I wasn't a giant Costa Grezin fan. They did, a, I think they did a flip, a uh, single, a flip twelve inch or something with Built to Spill. I wasn't, wasn't super into it. Uh, it was a, it was a split. It was a split with Built to Spill. Costa Grezin is, it's more caustic. It's much more caustic and somewhat more resinous. It but, is more resinous. Now here's the funny thing. God, this is so fucking boring. But you know what? Costa Your cassette. Mm-hmm, what is that? Does that have to do with a bong? Yeah, it's a marijuana. Okay, yeah, the kids love their marijuana. There's a lot of smoke. Pot now, smoke now the it. guy who did the Hurricanes cassette is the same guy who did Nothing Wrong with Love. Phil Eck, right? Phil Eck, correct. He, did, he actually produced it. Was he like behind the faders? Uh, Phil Eck. So Phil Eck, uh, when I first moved to Seattle, I worked at a club called the Off Ramp, and Phil Eck was the that's, ass- that's the Grunge Museum. <laughs> that was the Grunge Museum, and Phil Eck was the assistant sound man. So I was 21. Phil Eck was 19 or something. He was like. He was, there were two sound guys and Phil was the kind of younger apprentice who shouldn't have even been in the bar. He was too young to be in the bar. Uh, and we knew each other during that era. And then, uh, I, but, but I never, I, you know, I knew him as Phil. I didn't, I didn't know his last name. Kind of, we worked together every day at this bar, but I never, never knew his last name. And then uh, that first Built to Spill record came out, which he didn't produce, but then he did produce the second one. Mm-hmm. And uh, this name, Phil Eck, starts ringing out. Everybody's talking about Phil Eck, and I'm like, wow, Phil Eck, yeah, this, I got I to gotta figure out who this guy is. He does you know? the jokey outro. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he announces Phil the next, he announces the next the record. Next Built to Spill record. It's a great album. Kick you in the head, and I kick you in, in the, the head. head. Yeah. Um, 
Anyway, during this whole time, during the whole 90s, I'm bumping into this guy, Phil, that I used to know from the rock club. I'm seeing him on the sidewalk. Hey, Phil, how's it going? And we'd sit and talk for a minute and then be like, all right, see you later. And simultaneously, I'm thinking, God, this guy, Phil Eck, is making these amazing records. And, uh, you know, how do you even get to know a guy like that? How do you even meet a guy like Phil Eck? He's got to be living in a... You didn't put it together? No, I didn't know that it was the same guy. I'm like, he's got to be living in a castle somewhere. He's got to be driving everywhere in a white stretch limo. Like, Phil Eck's making these incredible built to spill records. Nice, handsome. And it wasn't until... He's a very tall man. Huh. It wasn't until the very late 90s... Um, I've got the Western State Hurricanes together, and we're talking about making a record. And uh, and one of the people in my band is like, well, you know what? I know Phil Eck. And I'm like, really? You know Phil Eck? That's amazing. Do you think he would work on this with us? Oh, yeah. I think I can get him to do this. You know, I think I can get him to do a demo for us. I'm like, oh, that would be incredible. I'm a huge fan of his album. And I swear to you, I'm still running into the guy on the sidewalk on a semi-weekly basis, like, hey, there's that Phil guy. How's it going, man? You know, what's up? Woo! And for whatever reason, you know, I just assumed he was working sound in a club somewhere. And, you know, who knows? I, I wasn't paying attention. So I swear to you, we show up for a meeting with Phil like, agrees to do our demo. And we show up for a meeting and walk into the studio. So he's going to listen to our, you know, our practice space tape. And I'm like... What, you're Phil Eck? Like, and he's like, yeah, you didn't know that? And I'm like, no, I thought you were Phil from the off-ramp. He's like, yeah, great, good work. I'm like, oh, my God, I was astonished. He goes, you're John Roderick? No, no, he, I mean, he, you know, he had not, first of all, he was not thinking. He's probably had to fill out some forms with your name on it. He was not thinking. Uh, oh my God, I can't wait to work with John Roderick. Certainly not at the time. Uh, he was just thinking, oh, that guy. But, but, uh, he's, uh, he's, he's done some heavy hitters, it looks like. A lot of these bands. Has, if you look I've at Phil X, uh, if you look at all the records that Phil X has made, you got the Band of Horses, you got the Fleet Foxes, whatever that is. You yeah, got, yeah. uh, he did the Shins. How about that? Yeah. Huh? He has made, he basically, Phil X is basically one quarter of what is good about indie rock in the world. You know, he, he, Seven six four here. Nothing wrong with that. He's been behind a lot of the classic records. Hmm. Yeah, it must be weird to live there. I don't know how you live there. Don't you feel like you need a break sometimes? Don't you feel like you need to go have a bye year and and and, and try another place for a while? Or are your roots so deep in there? No, I mean I travel for I travel for a living. So I'm. But I mean, every, you got you got a foot in Alaska. You you certainly have at least two feet in in Seattle. But you're yeah. saying you get away long enough, you come back, it feels fresh again. I'm in New York five times a year for a week. I'm in L.A. You know, a few times a year for a week. I get a week here, a week there, a week here, a week there. Certainly when I'm on tour, I'm gone for for three months a year, although I haven't been doing that for the last few years. But No, I, I think about living other places. But, you know, when I get back from a tour, and I've been to all kinds of places all, all over, cities in Europe, or when I'm there, I'm thinking, oh, man, I should move here. San Francisco, all the great cities, all the great cities. I get back to Seattle, and I'm like, well... The air really smells nice here, and the living is easy. Mm-hmm. And I could be, I could be like huffing rat in trails in New York City, or I could be down in L.A. living in a place where no one ever comes and I never see anybody, or I could be in San Francisco having hobos vomit on me, or living in Berlin with all the other twenty-year-olds. But Seattle is 
is uh, it's it's a pretty nice place. You know what makes you love your town is Applebee's. Mm. Not Applebee's or my dad liked an Applebee's. Oh God bless him, I love that guy. Yeah. But you know, it's it's funny when I, I, I I'm so hard on San Francisco because somebody needs to be. Yeah, it's a really stupid town. But yeah. I'll go somewhere and you know, I'll miss my family. I'll be sitting there. This is why I have a thing on my phone to help me find steak. It's very hard to find like normal food places because right. yes. everywhere you go, it's just it's just two to six lane highways and Applebee's. Yeah, maybe an Outback if you're lucky. And you know, for for you know, I'm just saying. You know I'm, what's good is a Chili's. Oh come on! You know they give you this big platter of ribs with some. Oh, you're talking about the bourbon, <laughs> the Jack Daniel's bourbon rib plate. Yeah, the Jack Daniel's bourbon rib plate. My God, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a trough. It's, it's, of it's, 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 it's. I don't know if it's tragic or, uh, or inspiring that the greatest creativity happening in America today is the shit that they come up with at places like Chili's. Yeah, where it's they have staggering. They have 25 ingredients and they make 7,000 meals. Exactly. Exactly. It's it, it's like one of those, uh, it's like with the Apollo. Like we got all those, a box full of stuff here to like keep these guys, same thing they've got up in the, uh, in the, in the capsule. You we know? were driving around Mississippi one time and it was Sunday night and everything was closed. Like they turned off the stoplights because you weren't supposed to be out. You know what I mean? Like nothing was on. We're driving around this town and we're starving to death. And it's like, oh my God, I didn't realize that they still closed. They rolled up the sidewalks at 7 p.m. on Sunday night in Mississippi. Drive around, oh, what are we going to do? They're not, the grocery stores aren't even open. And then like a beacon in the distance, this, you know, this red glow just sort of throbbing. We head there and it's a Chili's. And I had never been to a Chili's because I thought it was some kind of, uh, I thought it was mass market Mexican food. And I like Mexican food. I don't want to have the experience destroyed for me. We go into this Chili's and I'm 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 the guy who's standing there like I'm starving to death, but I don't want to be in here. Like, and every the rest of the guys in my band are like, "This is fine. Let's just be here." I'm like, "Ah, oh, I hate this, but okay. I'm 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 too hungry to argue." And we sit down, and the cute little waitress comes over and she gives me seven thousand kinds of Mexi fries and ribs and corn and and uh, garlic shrimp and chicken fingers. And like a little side ramekin of vitamin D, and I've got a you know like a, a a drink in a pineapple with a carrot sticking out of it, and you know and they put they put little pointy shoes on my feet that curl over. They have little bells on the end, and somebody gives me a hand job, and I'm like, this is the greatest restaurant in the world. And the whole thing, the whole meal was like twenty dollars for four. And they're they're so grateful we're there too. That's the other thing. They're like, "Thank you so much for coming to Chili's. Come on back." And I'm like, "I will come back." Can I keep these shoes? <laughs> I love these shoes. You know, every Chili's is identical. Is that right? Do they all do they all talk like that? <laughs> Thank you so much for coming to Chili's. I, I I I'm trying to remember. You know, there's a lot of those restaurants like that. But I mean, pretty much, the, I think the pattern through all of them is they raise whatever was there before. You know, sometimes you go to your dentist and it used to be a Shakey's. Yeah. Or like you know, there's a lot of like urology clinics that used to be a Pizza Hut. Oh, all the Thai restaurants in Seattle are international houses of pancakes. Is that right? Do they do they change the sign just a little bit? <laughs> they take the sign down, and it's just a it's just a a blue roofed a frame, as you as you have in traditional Thai communities, a blue roofed chalet. It's the international house of Pancock. <laughs> Of pan food, you know what I'm talking about? No, no, no. Yeah. I'm talking about like there was this, there was a, uh, there was a, a chain 
uh, in a terrible chain in, in Florida called uh, the Clock Restaurant. And of course, their thing was there was a big clock on the sign. And right. when these uh, these uh, carpetbaggers came in after that place closed, they just they spent like an hour changing the sign to say yeah. the Oh Look Restaurant with an apostrophe. <laughs> the Oh Look. <laughs> yeah. I could see that being like. Instead of Shakey's, it might be like Bakey's yeah, Urology Bakey's. Clinic. Ba- Bakey's Dentist's <laughs> Office. <laughs> Is your name Dr. Bakey? No, we just had the sign. There was, a, there was a there's a buffet in, in Tallahassee that you go to because that's all the restaurants. They're all buffets. And there was one. It was a really, really inscrutable Korean buffet. You went in there, and it was it was super bizarre. And you know the kind of buffets where they're really cheap, and they didn't say it was an inscrutable Korean buffet. I'm not done. You know what? Yeah, is that ping pong? That wasn't ping pong, <laughs> was it? That's so ping pong. No, they make great radios. You and you can't go in use there. Inscrutable when talking about Asian people. We've had a lot of requests to help understand what ping pong is, but I'm not going to explain that. You go in there, and you know the kind of cheap, not cheap buffets. Let's say they're just penurious. You go in, and they don't fill oh, the tray with ribs. There's like six ribs on right. some iceberg lettuce, and they'll put out more when people eat that. Right. So this is a really, really weird place. And so, you know, already I think the bar for Korean barbecue in Tallahassee is relatively low. You're not going to get a lot of uh, internationals coming in there and going, what the fuck is this? Right. You call this kimchi? Like, you know, you're going to get a lot of people in there who are like, oh, should we go to Sunny's for barbecue? Should we go to the, for like uh, buffet barbecue? Should we go here for buffet sushi, uh, buffet, buffet uh, Chinese? Or should we just go to this, this creepy little Korean place? Which right. is, the point of my story, in an old pizza hut. But you mm. go in there, and I, my hand to God, this happened. We went in there, we sat down, and the, the owner was one of those like really outgoing, like constantly asking you about things and saying things you can't understand. And right. just talking, talking, talking the whole time. Because all the guys that own Korean barbecues are are Korean mafia, and they all own the same tie. Hmm. It's a, a big. It's a Christmas big, tie, right? It's mm. got a picture of Santa Claus on it. I, I couldn't look at it. It was so wide. And and he, he at one point he came up and he said, "Bring your wife here." Uh oh, you can't get fat on our food. And I was like, <laughs> no. what, is, "What the fuck does that even mean?" But at one point he came oh. up. He says, uh, "Everything is good." And we're like, "This is delicious." And he goes, ha, ha, "Finger camping trip." Finger camping trick. Finger camping trick. My hand to God, six people at the table. Every single person had him say finger, heard him say finger camping trip. And to this day, that was probably almost 20 years ago, and I still have no fucking idea what that means. Yeah. Well, I'm still reeling, just emotionally reeling yes. from your incredibly insensitive portrayal of Asian Americans. How many Korean barbecue buffets have you been to that were scrutable? Be honest. In a Pizza Hut. In a Pizza Hut. I went to one in New York, a Korean barbecue, and on the menu were both ostrich and kangaroo. Mm. That's, and like, get, that's like getting lobster in, in a Mississippi Steakhouse. Think well, twice. But it's New, it's New York, right? So, mm-hmm. so it is entirely plausible that they, that they recommissioned an SST and flew this stuff from Australia. It, you know, that, that, that flew a live ostrich and a live... There are very industrious people that are not afraid to put a little bit of money behind bringing a bird to the country. Right. And I had this. I had both things, kangaroo and ostrich at this uh, Korean barbecue. And I have to say that that you are correct. It was inscrutable. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Ping pong. Typical. Mm -hmm. Hmm. I'm taking vitamin D. I want to know more. One time I took too much vitamin E and my hair fell out. Well, I'm not taking vitamin E. I, I thought it gave you boners. That. Tell me about vitamin D. That's what they have in milk. For a long time, they said you can't take too much vitamin D. It's bad for you. Then you right. get the whole like, no, that's not. It turns out that's not actually true. And now you're taking vitamin D. What's it doing for you? Well, see, I went to the doctor. Like I like I said at the beginning of this thing, 
And, um, and he said, you got all your vitamins. You're fine. Except one thing. You don't have any vitamin D in your body. Literally. You need all, you need all this vitamin D and you've got like trace amounts of vitamin D. And I said, is there no vitamin D in Hagen dazs Because I eat a gallon of Hagen dazs every six hours. And he was like, well, not enough for you. You need to get into the sun. It is a thing that happens when you go in the sun, you get vitamin D. And I said, isn't there another way? Because I don't want to go in the sun. And he said, yes, there is another way. You can take it from a pharmacy in a, in a little, you take one with every meal. I went and got some vitamin D and I'm, it's too early to say that I'm feeling better. Yeah. But, uh, but it's nice that it's nice to think that there is a, that there is, that there is something chemically wrong with me rather than that there is something spiritually wrong with me. Oh, God, that has been such a consolation for me. Yeah. When I figured that out, the spirituality thing, you can spend a lot of time running down that path. No oh boy. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. the chemicals, they got solutions for that. Listen, I don't want to have to delete the next three hours of this conversation. Okay. So what do you notice? What's the D doing for you? Dropping well, a D. I used to have a... I, uh, seriously, I've been walking around with a cloud over me for... Uh, and a figurative cloud in addition to a literal one. <laughs> and now the... Uh, now the uh, now Which the, one of them lifted? I think both. I can, I can see the sun. I'm taking vitamin D and I, and I don't feel like I'm... Uh, I don't feel like I'm looking at the world through pantyhose anymore. <laughs> also, also, I stopped robbing banks. So... 